continue our examination of uh, Paul the Apostle's epistle uh, in Galatians in chapter 3. Uh, if you'll uh, look, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read to you what we looked at last week in verse 13. Uh, powerful verse, telling, it really is going to be a good uh, springboard for us this evening. And it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. I'm going to give you this little summary of that. But, but remember what we're talking about. We're talking about a church that Paul the Apostle had really birthed out of his life. God had given him just the revelation of, uh, of, of, of grace through faith, of you know that, 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 that relationship that we have through, with God through the finished work of the cross of Calvary. He had really birthed that out of that, that, that thing that God had given him, that we see it in the, really encompassed in those 16 chapters of the Roman letter. And all of a sudden, something began to happen. People began to come in, and they were the Judaizers. They were the ones that were trying to pull people back under the law. And you'll remember we talked about in that second chapter. He said, if righteousness cometh through the law, then the grace of God is of none effect. And so he's, he's, he's bringing them back to a remembrance of exactly what God had done for them to begin with. And folks, we, each one of us need to come back to that place because it's so easy to, what the Word tells us, to depart from that place and to begin to look at all of these other things, whether it's church attendance, a certain amount of giving, or things that we do in ministry that we want to use those things to supplement our relationship with God. You know, folks, I love my wife. I mean, I've been married, it'll be 31 years this coming November. I love her. But our relationship is not defined by me picking up flowers and bringing them to her. It's not defined by that. I'll do that. My relationship with my wife is not for me taking her out for a nice dinner or a nice meal. That doesn't define our relationship. Our relationship is of more value than a nice dinner or a diamond ring or, or a bouquet of flowers. It's, it's much more intimate and much more lasting because just as a flower fades, all of those things that are built upon, those things that are natural or carnal, they're going to fade away as well. And so Paul the Apostle was pulling them back into that place of focusing on those things that are eternal. So there in Galatians 3.13, uh, it's Jesus. He, he really he says he's personally provided the provision that was necessary to redeem or to rescue mankind from that slavery of sin or that fallen nature that came as a result of Adam's transgressing the righteousness of God in the Garden of Eden. And he did this by what we see right there in Galatians 3.13, by being made a curse, or more specifically what Philippians 2.8 says. You can write that down. I'll read it to you. But you can write it down if you're taking notes. And here's what he did. It says, And him, being, speaking of Jesus, being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want, I want to read that again. That, that, that really, for me, is, is, is so truthful. It really reveals the great love that God had for us. Speaking of Jesus, being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. I think about what he said in, in Hebrews. He said that though he were a son, that he learned obedience through the things that he has suffered. You know, a lot of times we don't want to learn obedience through the things that we suffer. We want to learn obedience through those blessings and those things, times that things go uh, good for us. I was talking to uh, somebody just the other day, and just things that we go through in life, the things that we endure. And, and, and I was sharing with them, you know, Melly and I first entered the ministry in our early 20s in Texas, took a church on you. Folks, listen, God orders up those fiery trials to really reveal the conditions of our heart many times. So if we think we're going through a difficult time, and Jesus, and Jesus did that by example, he humbled himself. Well, how many of you know that he gives grace to the humble, but he rejects the proud? And it says that he because but God just wanted him to obey. And it says, how long will you mourn Saul seeing that I've rejected him? What did he get rejected for? 
Lack of sacrifice or lack of doing? No, he got rejected for a lack of obedience. It says that even Jesus through the, the just became like man. That's what it was, the incarnation. Jesus became like man. And I'm going to back up a verse from Philippians 2.8. And it says this in verse 7. It says, but he made himself of no reputation. I'll stop right there. Folks, here's the bad thing. You know, we know in the world men want to be men of reputation. Period. We, we know that. Men want to be the guys on the billboard. Men want to be the folks creating the buzz at the, at the water cooler, whatever it may be. But God himself made himself of no reputation. He wasn't seeking a reputation. The sad news is, as many of those things about reputation are not what John prayed. Let me decrease so that he can increase. I want to make Jesus famous, not me. I want people to know him because there's only one name given under heaven wherein a man can be saved. It's not Troy Bond, it's not Raven Ministries, it's not the training center, it's none of those things. But in the name of Jesus, every knee has got to bow and every tongue can bow. No reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness or the similitude of men. If you remember all the way back in Genesis, it says in the beginning, we know what God did, he began to create. And he said, let us make men in our image, in our similitude, as a reflection of us. And so God in the beginning made man as a reflection of him, but God, in order to win man back, made himself as a reflection of men, with just the absence of sin. And so by doing this, A, he became like man because he was the only way that the penalty of sin could be satisfied because man sinned, so man had to pay the price for sin. Romans 5.19 says this, and you know it, very, very familiar verse of Scripture. It says, For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners... So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And so sin made us to be sinners. Obedience causes us to be righteous. That's why it, it kind of uh, kind of does something in my spirit when people talk about, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, if that's all I still am, why did I get born again? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if I'm in Christ, I'm a brand new person. If I'm in Christ through obedience, not through my own righteousness, but by putting my faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, I'm no longer associated with that because old things, disobedience, and that sinful nature is passed away and everything now becomes new. So from one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Sinners are the product of disobedience, but righteousness is the product of obedience unto Christ. And so by doing this, be the righteous of the requirements of the law were met. So Jesus Christ coming down as Emmanuel, God with us, taking on the form of sinful flesh and for sin, he met the righteous requirements of the law. And so Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted, just like we are, yet without sin. 13 but that which is common to every single person. But God will never allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can bear. With every single temptation, He'll provide the way of escape. Folks, you know what the way of escape is? Over to He said, if you want to be my disciple, my follower, if you want to be my student, so to speak, He said, you've got to deny yourself. In other words, reliance upon your flesh or your ability or your inability in that case. You've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross or... Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then I follow or I imitate him. And that's, not, that's exactly what the apostles also said when he said, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. I want to imitate the one that was sent to be that propitiation, to be that one that stood in the gap, that made me righteous. I want to imitate him. I want my life 
to be a reflection once again. He reflected me when he came in the incarnation and gave me the power to reflect him what was exactly meant actually in creation from the beginning. Matthew 5, 17. He said, think not, though, that I've come to destroy the law of the prophets. I've come not to destroy it, but to fulfill for Adam and everyone that would have subsequently been born after him had he had not sinned. You ever think about that? Jesus is called the Son of God, but he's also called the Son of Man. He's called the second Adam. And so the life that Jesus lived was a life failed. That's what Jesus' example. And what I mean by the life was not, not that Adam was, was meant to adhere to, to, the, to the requirements of the law, because obviously the law of Moses didn't exist at that time. It only came as a, as a means to reveal sin and to reveal the fact that man had departed from God. But the type of life that Jesus demonstrated was one that lived in submission and obedience to the will of the Father. He did this by observing and thus fulfilling the requirements of the law. The law, as the scripture says, is our schoolmaster. And Paul said, without the law, I would have never had a, a, a knowledge of sin. You don't know you're speeding until you see that sign. With an Uber driver on Bourbon Street, of all places, going the wrong direction. And so obeying God looks like, even under the most Im impossible of circumstances. How many of you know that the natural man is not subject to the law, neither indeed can he be? Why? Because he's weak in the flesh. Folks, listen, every single one of us, if we said to ourselves, you know what, God, I'm going to impress God by doing everything that the law says. There's not a single one of us here that could ever fulfill that. Why? Because we're weak in the flesh. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 7 itself, he said, listen, the things under the law that I wanted to do, what did he say he did? He didn't do them. And he says, when I was under the law, he said, the things that I, I, I rescued us from the law by fulfilling those very things. And so by doing this, Jesus was qualified as the righteous man to bear the penalty of those things. He qualified himself to become what the Revelation called the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And we know what he did, Isaiah 53, 5, another very familiar verse. He was wounded for what? Whose transgressions? Why did he have to be wounded first? Because he didn't have any of his own. And so when he hung up on that cross, he did it for Caleb. He did it for he did it for Joe. He did it for uh, Emerson. He, he did it for Troy. He did it for Courtney. He did it for us. Why? Because he didn't have any transgressions of his own. And he was bruised for our iniquities. He didn't have the path of least resistance. He didn't have those bondages that Gideon had. He didn't have the ones that, that, uh, that, that, that Mitch had. Or, or he didn't have any of those things. So he did it for our iniquities. The chastisement she couldn't do the first time around. So why do you think that you could live the way you were intended to be when you couldn't do it when it was hot off the press? Why do you think that you can, you can, you can be a certain way that you were never able to be fulfilled because the guy that got it firsthand could not do that? And so, but why did he do that? And folks, that's the real question that we're going to answer here tonight in our text from, from Galatians 3 14. He said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And so, why? Or maybe it's better understood. Here's the question What purpose does that serve? What purpose does it really serve what Jesus did? And so, when I'm talking about that in, in, our, in our context, uh, what, what, what purpose does that serve, Andrew, that Jesus did all those things? So that what? So that we don't have to go through it? What, what purpose does it serve? Yeah, I know the purpose it serves so what I don't have to go through. So what benefit does what Jesus have for me have? 
So we can worship him for eternity. And so I got saved. And in the meantime, I'm 50 years old now. And I'm just holding on for eternity. And because in 2,000, 3,000 years from now, I'm going to be doing that. And so what about now? Should there be a benefit that comes into our lives through that relationship in the now? Folks, what do you think about that? See, most people get saved or claim to get saved. That way they don't have to go to hell. Period. Well, what I found in preaching the gospel around this world and to thousands upon thousands of people, most people aren't afraid to go to hell. They're not. And so if we think that people just get saved so they don't go to hell, well, they look at that as some mythical thing anyway. They look at it as just a product of Dante's Inferno or, or some other uh, 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 middle-aged writing. People aren't sitting around thinking, man, I've got to do something right or I'm going to go to hell. They might be thinking, I've got to do something right so I won't go to jail. But most people think, you know, can I get an amen right there? You know what I'm talking about. You always know the crowds are preaching because you'll always get it on that one. But, uh, but most people aren't thinking that. So what's the benefit? Folks, because listen, I want to have a benefit. Forget not all my benefits is what this, the psalmist said. And so I want a benefit that's beyond that. Okay, I don't have to go to hell. And so what do I get to see manifested in my life now? So I can be saved, so I can go to heaven. Folks, here's the answer, and it's going to be in Galatians 3.14. And here's where we're going to jump in tonight in our expository look through Paul's epistle to Galatians. Jesus went through those things. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree, not just so I don't have to go to hell one day, not just so I can uh, worship in eternity and throw my crown down like the 420 elders and sing hallelujah before the sea of glass. I want to do all that. You hear me? I want to be a, a part of that. I believe that I'm going to be a, a resident in that new Jerusalem coming down from I believe all of that stuff's going to happen. But here's what he said. He said that, all of those things happen, so that. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the reason you got saved? Are you, reason, are you ready for the reason that Jesus really had to come down from his exalted place in glory? Are you really ready for the reason that, that he took on the form of sinful flesh and for sin? Are you really ready for the reason that his hands and his feet were pierced so that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith? Now, folks, listen, I can say that, and there's a lot of ambiguity in that if you just read it through real quick, because I can ask you, how many of you know? He said that so that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Okay? Anybody want the blessings of Abraham to be upon you? Anybody, here's a better question. Anybody not want? Some of you are saved. If I said, were you drowning in a lifeguard swam out there? And I said, did he save you from something? What did he save you from? Well, he saved me from the water. He saved me from drowning. And so... Most people, when they use these terminologies that become so familiar, they really don't even know what they mean. And so I can preach, and I can, I can huck, and I can buck, and I say, you want the blessings of Abraham, and I'm going to get a yes, hallelujah. I get the seeds. My seed's going to be like the sands of the seed. I'm going to get some good question. So what are exactly those blessings? I'm going to give you seven basic blessings of Abraham that Christ's work of redemption qualify us for. I say qualify us for because just because Christ did it the exact same way through obedience. There's certain obedience that puts us in a place of receiving what God has for us. How many of you know that many are called? Right? But few are chosen. So many are extended an invitation, but very few pay the price to be qualified for that invitation. And so when you tell somebody, man, you need to come to Jesus because, man, you've you got a call on you. Well, you and everybody else 
Don't tell them that. Why? Because it's a whosoever will call. But there's a qualification that's got to come to that call. Folks, listen, I was called, so to speak, to the ministry as a young man. And you know what? I tried to disqualify myself from that calling for, for several years when I was a young man. But fortunately, I repented from that. And through obedience and through repentance from dead works and faith towards God, I found myself qualified for that so that God could choose me to do the work that He's called me to. But it wasn't just something that He arbitrarily threw upon me and said, you've got a calling so you can live like the devil and talk like the devil and act that way and you're okay and, and you're going to stand before me on the day of judgment and I'm going to lie and say, well done my good and faithful servant when you were never good and you were never faithful. Folks, he's not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he should repent. He's going to extend the invitation, but there's got to be something in our heart and life which was exact, which was the example set through Jesus Christ that's going to qualify us for that. So I want to give you the seven basic blessings of Abraham that Christ's work of redemption will qualify us for. And I hope I don't disappoint you. The first one's found in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Here's the first blessing. Leave your native country, leave your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Blessing number one, I'm going to give it to you in a sentence. He gives you a change of perspective by giving you a change of priority. He will give you a change of perspective by giving you a change of priority. You know, folks, listen, when we stood, when God created man in his image the first time, it says that Adam walked with God, spoke with God, and he walked with him in the cool of the day. When God showed up in the garden, he wasn't running for his life and thinking, ah, he's coming for me, the great big giant of a God. No, they had fellowship. God spoke to him. God taught him. He was a, a, a child of God. But when he sinned, what happened? He hid from God, didn't he? And God asked him the question, why are you hiding? And he said what? Because we're naked. And God's follow-up question was, who told you that you were naked? Folks, they had always been naked. They had always looked that way. But because they had the right vantage point and they had the right perspective, rather than being focused on the flesh, they were focused on their God. And so once sin came, that's why they call it the fall. Why? They fell from that place of a God-given perspective. They ceased to, 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 to look to those things that are above rather than beneath. They, they lost perspective. And so what he does with that first blessing is he gives us a change back of perspective by changing our priorities. And this is the blessing that we, we talk about leave in order to cleave. And I'll, I'll read you from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. We know the, the, how this is... is in his preface, he talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Amen? You guys that have been married like Tom and I for years and years, we love our wives as like Christ loved the church. We know what that looks like. You know, Gideon and Christina, uh, you'll know what that looks like. You're going to learn. I guarantee you after you got married the 28th of January, correct? Give it another 28 years and you'll begin to know what it is. Right? You'll, do, you'll know how to love the church through struggles. Through those times where it, it doesn't act the way. It's the, when the honeymoon's over. You'll learn those things. And praise God that you've been given the opportunity to love those things. So we know. Then he goes on to say in verse 31 in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle, the same one that, 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 that God entrusted to, to write this letter to the Galatians. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. Sounds a little bit like the blessing of Abraham. And he shall be joined unto his wife 
and they are going to be one flesh. So those things that in one perspective represented two, when the perspective changes, now they're just going to represent one. But then he goes on to say, and this is my point, this is a great mystery. He said, because I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Well, ab absolutely, spiritually speaking, relationally speaking, I married Melanie, and we, we became one in spirit. We became one in relationship. We became one in covenant. But obviously, she's not the same person as me, and I'm not the same person as her. Okay? We're, we're, we're two different people, but we have a, 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 a communal relationship. We have a covenant relationship by marriage. And he said, but I'm speaking of Christ in the church. And so as I'm the head, you get to be my body. You get to be that one in relationship with me. So the Lord said, leave your native country. Here's that blessing of Abraham back in Genesis 12.1. Leave your relatives. Leave your family. Or leave those things that had previously defined you in the natural. And they bound you by the familiar. Do you hear what I'm saying? Leave those things that previously identified you in the natural and bound you by the familiar. Folks, I tell people all the time, I pray for people, especially folks that have had maybe a checkered past or things that, that, that really had, had, had sought to hold them back. And I say, listen, what Jesus will do is he'll make you no longer have to be bound by your past, but he will make you found in your promise. Folks, listen, I don't have to be defined by who I was. Period. Period. And I was never the the, the, and I laugh about this. I was never the, the gangbanger, the top drug dealer in my city and all that stuff. I, I wasn't that guy. You know what? I, I, I wasn't. I was kind of the, the good student, the person that, that tried to do pretty good. Yeah, I was honorary just like any other teenager and all those things, but I never tried drugs. I didn't want that stuff. I saw how crazy my family was. I'm thinking, I don't want to be crazy like them. And so I avoided some of those things. But still yet, in my flesh, to no good thing. I needed Christ to come in. I didn't want to be defined by those things. I wanted to be defined by something that transcended me, whether it was something good or something bad or something indifferent. And so I don't want to be bound by the familiar. I want to be bound by my relationship with God. So many times a blessing is I want to remove you from that place that you're defined by. And folks, listen, some of you guys, you go into a certain place and say, oh man, I used to know you back in the day. Oh, you acting like you're all this now. I used to know who you were. Oh, remember what you did such and such? How many of you, especially after you first came to Christ, they wanted to hold you in bondage to who you were? You know what ends up happening through obedience? You begin to outlive that. I remember uh, Mel and I got married in November 1986, and about a month later, my whole family, my brothers, my mother and father, all left Texas and moved and spent 10 years in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, we saw them periodically, but just you know, here and there during those that period of time. But in 10 years, now we've been married 10 years. Been pastoring a church for five of that 10 years. Had a couple of children. We were different people. We were no longer those young teenagers. And so when my brothers showed up, when they would have a conversation with me, they wanted to talk about somebody that was dead. They wanted to talk about stories related. They would do that over time. But you know what? When I get with them now, after all of these years, 32 years of serving Jesus and preaching the gospel, man, we don't talk about that stuff because I've outlived it. My testimony's outlived to seven about I'm going to give you a blessing by having you leave that native country, leave that relative, leave your family to go into a land that I'm going to show you, a new place of identification, Matthew 13, 57. Speaking of Jesus, when he spoke, it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Now, many of you, I know you, that could be said of you. 
You go back and you share the gospel with your friends and your family, and what happens? They're deeply offended. I can't believe you'd say that. Who do you think you are? It says they refuse to believe him. That Jesus told them, he said, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown, and in certain circles still do. Why? Because it's much easier for them to identify you with your familiarity than it is with your faith. Yeah, you may be seeing it now, but I used to, to know you. He's the gospel during a Mardi Gras outreach. You know, didn't know it. We've been ministering, obviously, in that church that we have eventually served for 14 years, in our community, doing outreach, all of those things. Bad side of town. But there's a bad side of town. Then there's New Orleans, French Quarter, okay? There's, you know what I'm saying? I preached around the world. I preached in the red light district. Uh, they feel obligated. They spend all these, way too much money on hotel rooms and spend way too much money on these watered-down hand grenade, all this stuff that they do. Harvestville. Surely they're seeing what we saw. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus looked at the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. I pray the Lord of the hard labors are few that we showed up and we found out that, man, there was multitudes, multitudes. And I said, you know what? It's just going to exist. That environment's going to be there. People are going to do what people are going to do. And literally the Christian community, to a large degree still yet, has given up on where they weren't so familiar and brought them into an environment to preach the gospel. Why? Because they weren't beholden to a culture. They weren't beholden to a familiarity. They, they, God had to bring somebody to stir the pot. And folks, for me, that's been a tremendous blessing. Why? Because it removed the scales from my eyes and allowed me to see it like he saw it so that I could do it like he did it. I didn't see that in my familiar place where I pastored for 14 years. So he blessed me by removing me from a place of conformity and familiarity to bring me to a place where I had to rely upon him every single day, even to this day. That's a blessing. It says in Matthew 12, this is prefaced, that statement in Matthew 13, 57, by what he said in Matthew 12, 46 through 50. And this really kind of underscores the, the value of what he's talking about. And it says, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother, Mary, obviously his brethren, stood outside, desiring to speak with him, speak with Jesus. And one said to him, behold, your mother and your brethren are outside. They want to speak to you. But Jesus answered and told them, he said, who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands towards his disciples and said, behold, my mother into the eternal. And he, brought, he showed that, listen, there's a relationship in Christ Jesus that's a blessing that's going to transcend everything in the natural. Folks, listen, I, I, I have dear friends that are in gospel, brothers in Christ. I think about uh, Pastor Alex. You guys obviously know Pastor Alex. You know, I'm, I'm closer to Pastor Alex than I am my own quote-unquote flesh and blood. You know, I know him. We finish each other's sentences. We laugh at each other's jokes, and we have a great time. Pastor Thomas, I've known him for obviously 25 years. Him and I are, are that close. We, ha we have a relationship. His, his, his children call us Granny and Papa. That's our relationship with him. Not because, obviously, if you look at their skin color, you know that there's uh, some genetic anomalies or something going on if we are blood relatives. Why? Because they're a, little, a few shades darker than us. But you know what? They're, they're no, no, no different. That is our family. Most of you know how Kelsey came into our family. She's our daughter. Even though the, 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 we may not have had a genetic contribution, she's as much our daughter as Kayla's our daughter. And uh, uh, Elisha Troy is as much as our grandson. Remove us and give us a change in perspective so he can show us a change in priority. So the second blessing is also found right there in Genesis 12. Too, and he says, I will make of you a great nation. Here's that part that Christina really wanted a part of. and The seeds of the sand and all that stuff. And... In other words, he's going to enable us with the ability 
to populate eternity. He's going to enable us with the ability to populate eternity. Does that get you excited? I have an ability that the angels weren't even given. I have the ability, I've been given a commission. You know, at, uh, Psalm 2 and 8, something is, I was just a young man called to the gospel. I remember uh, sitting down and, and, and talking to the pastor. I said, listen, I, I read Psalms 2 and 8, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the other parts of the world for your possession. And I said, you know what, I, I, I know context. I'm not going to go and say, okay, I'm glad dad's dead. And you know what, I'm going to get to empty the coffers and all these things. That's not my inheritance from him. But when I ask of my heavenly father, what's your inheritance? I've got an inheritance that will not fade away. Why? Because there's going to be people a trillion years from now that are going to say, thank you for being obedient. Thank you for standing out and weathering the storm in places like Bourbon Street. Thank you for being out there when people thought you had lost your cotton-picking mind. Thank you for going places where you were ridiculed. They said, you must be some cult leader to do something like that. You, you, you go to preach places, preaches, and, and you, you, you wrap your arms around that, that broken person that has been rejected, or you, you gather up the prostitute or the drug addict or that person that's been misunderstood. In a trillion years from now, they're going to say, thank you for showing up and seeing value where value really is. Folks, that's what he's given us the ability to do. Not to make a name for ourselves, not to somehow get on a marquee or to, or, 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 or to be elected to a public office and say, I was number 45 or whatever it may be. But I'm going to stand with the saints of the ages. They're going to say, thank you. Thank you for accepting and receiving and walking obedience to the blessings of Abraham. So the question is, do you want to really know what it looks like in eternity? What's that second blessing going to look like? You've got, you got to hear this. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Revelation. Right in front of all those maps and stuff. Revelation. It's funny, everybody knows where Genesis is and everyone knows where Revelation is. But before you turn there, turn to the book of Hezekiah. It's funny when you say that, people start scaring you. It's not in my Bible. No, it's not mine either. I want to show you what that looks like. You tell me if you want this blessing to be prevalent in your life. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Is, I saw in the right hand of him that set up on the throne a book written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no Ephesians says that he led captivity captive and he gave uh, gifts unto men. This is where he prevailed. And it says in verse 6, And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood the Lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Here's what Andrew wanted to be a part of. Having every one of them hearts and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung. You've got to listen to verse 9. Circle in your Bible. You'll want to remember this. It'll resonate with you, if not tonight, some other time. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God through thy blood. I want to read that verse again, but I want to read what Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, curse everyone that hangs on the tree. I'm going to go back to that. And they sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us 
to God by thy blood. This is why, this is the reason for this event out of every kindred, every tongue, and people of every nation. Folks, verse 9 is Galatians 3.13. That's where we see it, and that's the promise that we see manifested in 3.14. And you has made us unto uh, our God kings and priests, and we shall reign forever. You've invited us into that relationship. And behold, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast. And the elders of the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 thousands of thousands. Josh is a math guy. Maybe he can tell us what that number is. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth which are in the sea and all of them heard it the same blessing and honor, glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And all the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. In other words, blessing number two, he enables us to populate eternity and be a part of that enormous uh, spectacle that's going to be in heaven one day. And number three, the third blessing of Abraham that we get to be a partaker of is still right there in Genesis 12, 12 chapter 2. And he says, I will bless you. Amen. Brother, is that what you wanted? Do you want the blessing? Do you want to be a part of that? That's what most people want. I will bless you. Well, I hope you're not disappointed after I tell you what he's talking about here. Because most people's minds, they think about blessing in association with getting or receiving. But blessing in this context is a little bit different than that. And it comes from the typical blessing root word, which is barak. But it's actually baraka. Waha, barak. It's not like an Indian guy, don't it? But that's what it is. And it changes the meaning from simply receiving something that would be considered a blessing to being received as a blessing. Blessing, but being received as a blessing. And so when the prefix wa'a and the suffix kar added to the bara, it presents the image of one kneeling down before the throne of a king in order to be received by him. And so an example, you know, here's the one feast, Queen Esther of my kingdom. So the blessing of Abraham is that I will be received by him. Not that I'm going to get a bunch of stuff, but I'm actually going to be able to come into that place. And folks, if you know the, 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 the type of the, of the story that he was given with, with Esther in that whole situation, you know what? She, she had to be received by the king in order to bring salvation and, 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 and keep her, her people from being destroyed. And so she had to be at that place of preparation in order for the king to receive her. Why? So she would have audience with him. And folks, listen, that's what the blessing of Abraham does. It gives us audience. Back to what I mentioned before out of Hebrews. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And always tempted out like we are yet without sin. So we can come boldly. So we can be received of him and get the help that we need. Folks, listen, the help that I need is not more stuff. You hear me? I don't, I don't even have time for stuff. The, the, the help that I need is that I know that I can appeal to the King of Kings. That I can come into His presence. That He invites me into that place. That I, I can take hold of the horns of the altar. I can grab His, his, his golden scepter, so to speak. He, he'll, he'll incline His ear to hear my prayer. That's the blessing. Psalm 95 and 6 says, Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Folks, that's the blessing. I can come before God. I can kneel in His presence and be received as a son, as a child. And He'll say to me, listen, you come. What is it that you need, son? 
Listen, my blessing is you've been received. You've been given audience. I've allowed you into my, my presence. And so the third blessing of Abraham is access by invitation into his presence. It's not access into stuff. It's not getting an offering from him, but rather becoming an offering to him. Are you an offering to him? Are you an offering to him? We know Romans 12, 1. It's on this place that I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is just your reasonable service. It's my reasonable service to become an offering to him. Say, God, okay, here I am. What do you want to do with me? God, here I am. What do you want to send me? God, here I am. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? That's just reasonable. And folks, that's not just reasonable, but that's a tremendous blessing for me to be able to say, God, I want to be an acceptable offering unto you. I want to be able to come and present myself, be invited as someone that you would desire to come in and to fellowship with. He said, I stand at the door and knock by name. You know, I've heard people over the years speak of knowing famous people when what they really mean is that they have met or casually crossed paths with someone famous. Huge difference, right? It'd be like a kid saying, listen, man, I went to basketball camp, and you know what? During that camp, I got to, I got to play a, a game of one-on-one -on -one with LeBron James. And as I played with LeBron, you know, I, I, man, I, I was talking about him, and he'd be to ask questions and all these type of things, and we exchange, hey, hey, how you doing? He said, well, don't you remember me? Then I'm Andrew. Remember back at that camp in Dallas, Texas? I, I, I was there, and we played a game on one-on-one, -on -one, and LeBron, yeah, I remember Andrew. How you doing, buddy? You know? You don't know him. Mitch can tell you he's involved in professional sports. You see that type of thing. It's like, well, I want to know you because you're this guy or that guy or whatever else or somebody else that might be in some other prominent position or someplace that gets headlines. And people want to say that they know you and all these, but they really don't know you. But the Bible says the blessing of, of, of Abraham upon us is that God will call us by, you had to prompt the memory. But remember Galatians 3.13? Christ has redeemed us. Somebody say redeemed us. I say that because once again Isaiah 43 1 says this. So just as Jesus Christ became that, that, that the curse for us to redeem us, he redeemed us to provide us for a, with a blessing that he calls you by name. Word of God talks about even the angels in heaven, they sigh our name. Why? Because we have an intercessor who continually makes intercession for us. And so our name, because of that relationship we have with God, because of the, the blessing of Abraham that's extended to us through faith and obedience, the angels are hearing our name over and over. But why? Because he continually makes intercession on behalf of the saints. I praise God that he's, he's interceding on my behalf. He's redeemed me. He's called me by name. Now, look at Revelation 21.7, all the way back to the book. He said, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices. I'm taking your picture. They're taking mine. You just happen to be seen by name. It's kind of like when people come up and tell me, hey, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm like, you know, like, like it's an impressive thing to punch a 50-year-old man in the face. I mean, have fun. You know, go ahead. You know, a big enough head, I can probably take a few wallops. I was like, You're not going to touch me. Well, why ain't I? Well, you lay a finger against the servant of the Most High God. God's subject to suck the life right out of you. It's funny you see the look on their face like, uh, can you do that? Well, there's only one way to find out. Lay a glove on me and see what God does to you. He knows me by name. And obviously I haven't got me put in a great place. Period. In a great place. 
And so I get the blessing of Abraham because what? My name is before him. Why? Because he has put my name in a book and he wrote it down with his own blood. That's the blessing that I have. But blessing number four, he will know you and he will call you by name. But here's the flip side in that. Revelation 3, 5. It says, all who are victorious. Somebody say victorious. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life. Well, I will announce their name before the Father and His angels because they are mine. Whoever is victorious, 1 John 5, 4 says, For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. They're victorious. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so through faith in what Jesus Christ did, becoming the second Adam, becoming the propitiation for our sin, for standing in the gap, for dying, and becoming the, 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 the price in the, in, the, in the lamb slain on my behalf, I'm qualified through faith in that. But 1 Timothy 4, 1 says... Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that the last time some will turn away from that type of true faith and they'll turn to deceptive spirits and that come from the teaching of demons. So if I want my name to be great, I've got to stay in that great relationship with him. Verse uh, number 5, still in Genesis 12, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I've given you all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey, back to their word obedience, all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there's no such thing as a great uh, blessing or a privilege apart from bringing people into right relationship with God. And that's exactly the task that was given to Abraham, and by extension, it's given to us. And so the question would be, do you consider yourself a part of that blessing? I was listening to... Uh, uh, David Ravenhill gives some statistics uh, about the modern church, and, and I heard him share when he spoke here a couple of years ago, and, and he was talking about just the number of people who have failed in the church to share their faith, and it's enormous. I mean, it's 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 less than two percent of Christians walk in that portion of the blessing. Why they think it's for the crazy street preacher? They think it's for the evangelist? They think it's for all the folks? Listen, I don't preach on the street because I'm a street preacher. I preach on the street because I'm a part of the blessing of Abraham. And it's, I'm willing to go to the street. I don't ever preach to the street. Hey, street, you need to get saved. I share the gospel with people. And I just happen to go where a lot of people show up from all different types of places. I'm not a preacher to the street. I'm a preacher to people that just happen to be walking down the street. Why? Because that's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All I've got to go back to is that, that, that verse from there. And he says, I will bless them that bless you. Blessing number six, you become a vehicle for the favor of the Lord coming upon other people's lives. That's a blessing. You guys may remember a few years ago we were preaching there, right on there on Bourbon Street, the 500 block. Uh, and the police swarmed in. And they arrested us. There was eight of us out there that night. And I think six of us actually were, were charged with, with a crime. They took us in and they gave us a, uh, they, they charged us with uh, uh, an ordinance that had passed the previous year, the aggressive solicitation ordinance. And the aggressive solicitation, the language of it was, it's gathering on Bourbon Street between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. for the sole purpose of the dissemination of information of a religious or a social uh, uh, or a political nature which would be any conversation that you would have. And so they never enforced it. They came in one night. They arrested us. Okay? Now, we're a part of the blessing of Abraham. 
Well, Chase Seculo didn't come to our rescue. The Rutherford Institute didn't come to our rescue. What happened? That notorious group that usually supports everything that Christians despise, the American Civil Liberties Union came in and said, please, please, let us throw our collective resources behind you and take this case. All you need to do is tell us what you want and when you want it, and we're going to get it. And you know what? That's exactly what they did. The, the, the gentleman that, we, that Kelsey and I talked to, he said, listen, I'm not an unbeliever or nothing like that. He said, I, I, I just want to raise that way. He said, but I believe that you have, guys have a right to share your message. He said, you just tell me when you're going to be out there, and I will have a federal temporary restraining order against the city of New Orleans, the mayor, the police chief, and anybody else I need to have it, and you can go out there and preach. Well, that was years ago. Obviously, we, we, we won that case. And what happened? We were blessed because of that covenant to be a blessing. Now you know what happens? Other people that come and preach, preach in our cities, they've got that same, they have the same favor. They're not being harassed by the police. Now the police look out for us on the streets. We have become a blessing to other people even as we take people out to share the gospel. We're not at odds. I'm not sitting there having a, a 45 minute de uh, debate with some beat officer who doesn't know the law or anything else. I I'm not having to go through those things anymore. Why? Because the word got out. Now when they have major events, what's happening? The, 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 the state fire marshal calls me up and wants to meet with me and says, listen, yeah, I want you to kind of give us some ideas what you guys are going to do because we're working on crowd control and things of that nature. Why? Well, because we are blessed to be a blessing to someone else. And folks, listen, when we walk in that type of favor of the Lord, He enables us to be the vehicle to bring other people into that right relationship with Him as well. Uh, something I think about too, which is so often quoted out of context, it's First, uh, First Chronicles 16.22, saying, Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. You know, TV preachers would always apply that and say, Listen, you can't talk about me. Touch not my anointed. You speak against Benny Hand or you speak against whoever else it might be. Don't touch me. Folks, that's not what he was talking about. He was speaking to those foreign leaders when, when God's people were taken into captivity. He says, listen, they're blessed to be a blessing. And so when my prophet comes in, you folks in these foreign lands, whether they're in Babylonian captivity or somewhere else, you need to allow them to be a blessing to you because they're going to share with you certain things that are going to be a great help to you. So we see it all the way back into the Old Testament that God's people were taking, men like Daniel were, were sent in to be a blessing. Men like Joseph were sent into Egypt to be a tremendous blessing. Don't touch those people that are my anointed or those people that were set apart for my service or participants in my blessing. Don't do them any harm because you're going to need them to be a blessing to you. And number seven, the seventh blessing of Abraham, and we see it also in, in Genesis 12, 3, and in you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Or our acts of obedience, our righteous walking in the Holy Spirit power will bless all the families on earth. Why? Because they will see you as a testimony of the reality of God. People tell me all the time on the street, they say, listen, how do you know that God's real? I said, all i got to do is look in the mirror. All i got to do is look into my own heart. And I see the reality of God. What no one else could do, what no other situation could ever remedy, God remedy. And they'll say things like, well, you know what? I've got to see it to believe it. And I'll ask them, well, you, you have a brain? Yeah. Have you ever seen it? No. So how do you know you have one? Well, because I, I know the results of it. Well, I know the results of a relationship with God. I know what He's done to me. I may not physically see it, but man, it is my reality. Faith is the substance. Faith is the hypostasia. Faith is the reality of things Hope for it's the evidence of things 
than aren't even seen. It's a greater reality than what I see, and it's what God has said. Folks, that's the reason that Christ Jesus did and became everything that he went through, was to extend to us the blessings of Abraham, and praise God that we can actually look and see what those things are and draw from them. Father, we just thank you for tonight, Lord God. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our path, Lord God. Father, we want to learn obedience, Lord God, even if it means learning obedience to the things that we suffer, that we go through, Lord God. Because, Lord God, we know that the race isn't to the swift, it's not to the strong, but it's the one that endures to the very end. Lord God, give us the strength, the power to endure. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God. Just bring that, Lord God, just, not just a revelation, but a realization, Lord God, of the promises that you have for them, Lord God, through that relationship they have through faith and the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And we thank you for the things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.